and welcome to the To Mom podcast. My name is Valerie Propsfeld. Please join me as we encourage mothers to live their verb while also practicing self-grace. The goal of this podcast is to promote love as an action and live life more authentically. Just think about it. In five generations from now, you will have approximately 30 descendants and the number keeps getting larger and larger. We have more power as moms than we realize. Motherhood, in my opinion, is the most important job in the world. Hi moms, thanks for tuning in. I have another amazing guest for us today, Deanna Kazarov. First, the mission of Mom is to Love is to support, encourage, and empower each other as imperfect moms to love as a verb. Join us and subscribe, share, and follow. Welcome to our community. My guest today, Deanna Kozarov, is an intuitive eating and wellness coach. She helps women stop the diet cycle so you can be stress-free with food, body, and movement. Deanna, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the great introduction there. Absolutely. So Deanna, tell us about yourself and why you decided to become an intuitive eating and wellness coach. Sure. Um, So like many women out there, I've been dieting all my life and, you know, I would gain the weight back once I would stop dieting, but I never thought that it was because diets were not sustainable. I just figured, oh, I have no willpower. I failed the diet. What's wrong with me? Um, and then later on in 2019, I got into health coaching. I got my certificate as a health and wellness coach, and I was so wrapped up into the concept of like the whole diet culture space, um, you know, eating super clean and making sure I'm working out for hours on end. And then it was a couple of years into my coaching business where I discovered the concept of intuitive eating. I was running across and meeting coaches that were not helping women lose weight per se, or get into these like strenuous workouts, trying to shrink their bodies, but instead we're helping women get in tune with their bodies and quit the ups and downs of dieting. Um, even the coaches themselves um, had a peaceful relationship with food too. They were also former dieters and the women were just giving like just glowing reviews, how intuitive eating changed their life for the better. Um, and there was a book um, that I heard um, about this topic called Intuitive Eating. So I got curious and I got the book and I read it front to cover. And I ultimately learned that diets just don't work. And I also went through a lot of training on intuitive eating and the non-diet approach to wellness. So I was at that point where like the noise in the health and wellness world was just getting so noisy and loud and that I lost the self-trust factor on what really is defined as health for me. So intuitive eating was life-changing for me and it was definitely refreshing. That's awesome. I think that's so neat that you have done all of these things and that you, this intuitive eating, now this is kind of like a new concept for me. Like, how would you describe intuitive eating? How would you define that for our listeners? Sure. So intuitive eating is best described with the following three features. Uh, One is relying on internal cues to address hunger and fullness, having unconditional permission to eat all the foods, all foods fit, and eating more for physical reasons and not as much for emotional reasons, which of course we do still, but we add other tools in our um, coping box when it comes to um, you know, eating more for um, physical reasons as opposed to emotional 
uh, reasons. And there are over 150 studies on intuitive eating that it works. There's a lot of research on this concept. And there are 10 principles, actually, of intuitive eating that have been outlined in detail in the book, Intuitive Eating, by Evelyn Ciroli and Elise Rush. There are two registered dietitians that kind of spearheaded the whole movement. At the end of it all, really, it isn't even like about the food. Um, it's more about like the thoughts surrounding the food that we have formed from beliefs we have established from like the diet culture messages that are out there. And I don't mean just from like advertisements and magazines and commercials and so forth, but even in our own little worlds, you know, like our family members, peers. Um, also, you know, we, um, you know, collect these beliefs about like how we should, you know, look and how we should eat. And one of the first principles of intuitive eating is actually to ditch the diet mentality. So if we want to shift our mind with how we view food, we have to change this mindset that diets just don't work. And being guilty and feeling shame is what is affecting us with our relationship with food. So we need to work on removing the guilt and shame surrounding food. And this all begins with our beliefs and thoughts around it. Growing up, did you feel like there was um, some of that like in your own household or with your peers? Or like where did you start to um, kind of think about all of this in your story? Yeah. So, um, like I said, I went on my first diet at the age of 14 and I think growing up as a nineties kid, um, it was like always in the media, you know, they always talked about like the Atkins diet, the low fat diet, the, like the thin supermodel era. Um, also, um, you know, I was in sports and dance. So, um, I think that kind of also was help, like making me like, make sure that I like don't gain weight so I can keep up with, you know, the, the athletics around, um, you know, being in sports and dance. And I was actually fairly tall for my age. So I kind of had that privilege in a way that if I gained just a little weight, it wouldn't like show right away. But um, I was still self-conscious about being tall because I was like taller than like most of my peers and um, would get teased about that. But I used to see girls getting bullied for being not only tall, but also living in a large body. So that was like my biggest fear, I think, that had me always going on diets as a kid. Like I always thought growing up, um, I could never be super slim and had friends slimmer than me, but um, that was like my biggest fear, I think, coming from the fact that I also had this height thing going on, too, that made me feel self-conscious. Now to like add weight, you know, being, you know, of a bigger a bigger size and a larger body like that, was, I think that was part of it, too. And like my... My mom was like always like trying to keep like sweets out of the house. Um, I was just like naturally not a big sweet person anyways, but I used to see like my brother like during trick-or-treating and Halloween, like he would try to hoard as much candy as possible and like, put it under his bed and it'd be like three, four bags of it. You know, and me, I'd be like, oh, you know, so um, it does affect, you know. Um, you as a kid, when you have like your, your parents, you know, trying to you know restrict certain foods or certain sweets or, um, you know, having those messages that are out there. Just, and it makes me think like, as you're talking, just how as women, as moms, and just we're so hard on ourselves. And that's just like, not only ourselves, but society, um, you know, what, what we feel society expects of us, what we expect of ourselves from whatever those internal tapes are. But essentially, I like how this intuitive eating is like embraces imperfection. Just, 
Yes, there is one of the chapters, and it's like more towards the end of the book because um, she really wants. It's not a step by step like program. I just want to first off say when it comes to the ten principles of intuitive eating, um, you can go in and out of various you know principles um, throughout your journey as you're trying to embrace intuitive eating. But there is a chapter, or rather a principle, one of them which is like more towards the end. I think it's like number ten. It's um gentle nutrition, like you know applying gentle nutrition to all of this. So. Okay. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. And you do coaching sessions with intuitive eating as well? The main, my main, um, my main offer is um, coaching women um, using intuitive eating principles um, and is coaching them also not just intuitive eating, but just like even intuitive like movement, um, you know, some body image concerns also, uh, whatever comes up in that, in that area. Mm, that's interesting. What is um, intuitive movement? Like, is that essentially just moving your body in the way that it's designed to move? Yeah, intuitive eating is, or intuitive movement rather is just um, a way that you want to move that feels good to you and um, um, practicing movements that you actually like to do. Um, I mean, even like Dr. Sears, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He even says the best kind of exercise you do is the ones that you like to do. Um, so yes, definitely, um, you know, moving away, you know, if you don't like running, don't do running, but if you prefer like long walks, do long walks, or, you know, if you rather, um, you know, strength train, and lift weights, you know, do that. It's, you know, and you can varietize it too. So it's really like what you feel like wanting to actually do in order to move your body. I love how you say like, yeah, if you don't like running, some people are runners. So what, what helps you? And for me, like I actually love, you know, in the Chicago area, it's getting colder now, there's snow outside, but it's a sunny day. And I like to take walks in, in the winter. Like it just, it fills my cup up. So I'll go and do that. Um, and yeah, I, I think that there is so much to be said about just kind of um, not fighting the res- like kind of uh, the path of least resistance, if that makes sense. Yes, yes, and also um, rest is also part of intuitive movement, which you would think like wait, rest movement. No, I mean, if you had other things that, you know, um, that came up and you just were like, okay, this is, it's been a day. I'm just, I'm just going to rest today. You know, like rest is very important too, in order for you to be able to then continue to, um, you know, move your body, you know, the next day or, or two, you know. I, I, I love how you break it down into simple terms and also having your mind in your brain in concert with your body. Like, I really think that's so important. Deanna, are there any myths with intuitive eating that you want to share with us? Yeah. So, um, so intuitive eating is not like a set of rules or like another diet. Um, I've seen on social media it being called like the, whatever you want to eat diet, which is, first of all, it's not a diet. Um, it's not linear, um, and you can move from one principle to another in various stages. The key is that we try to do away with external rules on how we should eat and handle our health. And so, like I said, it's not an eat whatever you want diet. It's really about tuning inwards with what our bodies want and need that will feel good. So like, yes, intuitive eating says to eat the cakes and chips and pizza, but your body will eventually crave things like salads, smoothies that may provide a different value. The difference here is that we don't give morality to like a food 
and practice that all foods fit. And um, there was another myth that intuitive eating is very anti-health, which is like far from it. Intuitive eating takes on not just our physical health into account, but also our social, emotional, and mental health as well. And it provides a much more like holistic approach to our health that is not steeped in like dieting where the focus is only on the physical part. Um, so like one of the first principles of intuitive eating is reject the diet mentality, like diet culture hijacked our vision to what health, health really should look like. Thanks to like clever marketing schemes that we must use like the latest shakes, pills, strict diets, exercise regimes, et cetera, to shrink our bodies and lose weight. But dieting has a cycle that could be difficult to break for a reason to keep you in that hamster wheel to buy into this diet culture. And it has been proven that 95% of the diets like don't work and the weight comes back on eventually, actually. Mm. That's a good point that diets don't work a lot of the time the historical aspect of food from like the turn of the century in the 1900s. Um, if you look at newspaper articles and all, they talk about more like fattening type things. Like they want, you know, like your baby should be like, you know, more plump and, and all because it was more scarcity, it seemed like. And then as like more, um, um, as like the 40s, 50s, those magazines, looking at just all of, it seems like that's where a lot of that start, like the advertising talking about and like all of these messages and you know not that there weren't messages with the earlier ones but it's just interesting the paradigm shifts of what culture and what society thinks is important in the time that it's living in and I, I think um, you know we were mentioning earlier about gardening and how that can kind of help with um, you know for me I think it helps me eat more vegetables because I enjoy it um, that aspect but also you said that intuitive body movement right Yes, yes, yeah. Gardening is a great activity. Um, it's getting you out in fresh air. It's getting you to, you know, it's a you know, gardening is a very my 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 parents had you know a garden, so like it's very you know it's very strenuous work. You know, it's a good it's a good way to move your body as well. And um, there's just like so many benefits. And also, you know, growing your own food. I mean, that's always a nice thing. You know, if if you can uh, swing it, it's definitely um, a really great way to you know, move your body and uh, be connected with, with food as well in that aspect. What do you recommend for, like for me, for example, I will sometimes eat a lot when I'm stressed um, and other times I won't eat as much. Like, Yeah, emotional eating is a whole like topic in itself, which definitely you would do something in a more deeper level, like in a more of a coaching session. Um, but for the purpose of the podcast, your listeners, um, there are, um, so... Sometimes when you're eating due to, you know, for example, being stressed, I mean, that is just your body of trying to keep you, you know, keep you feeling safe. And it is a coping mechanism, actually, you know, um, but it is very important to to kind of form like a toolbox of other ways to relieve your stress. Um, that's like something I work with, with my clients, like just come up with like some kind of an emotional toolbox. Like what are some other things you can do when you're feeling stressed? So you maybe, you know, like we mentioned earlier, maybe you need to take a walk or maybe you need to just take a day off, um, from, you know, whatever, from work or whatever it may be. Um, so of course, you know, eating or reaching out for, you know, foods that you like maybe would like to not reach out to reach out for as much, um, may maybe one, one way that you're coping with, say, for example, you know, stress, but then 
um, you know, coming up with other other tools in your emotional toolbox on how you can maybe cope with that stress. So it's not just always, um, you know, resorting to food. Sometimes it may, may be, you know, that is the solution is, you know, go, you know, have some, you know, something to eat that you may have had more than usual of. And sometimes that may not work or, you know, also sitting with your like feelings too. And like getting like curious and just giving yourself grace. I'm like, so what led up to the events that had caused me to be stressed and had, which led me to then, you know, overeat, for example. Um, I love those words, like being curious and giving yourself grace. That's because I can yeah. say, oh, I ate too much. Like I was stressed out. I ate too much for me. Uh, sometimes like my Starbucks consumption goes up. I was like, I'm but at the same time saying, you know, this is okay. I am curious about what it is that maybe there's something else I can do if that is something that I want to do. Yeah, being curious about it. Like maybe, maybe what, or maybe even baby steps. Like maybe I can take my Starbucks drink and go take a walk and, you know, like trying to combine it. And yeah, I, I love that. And I also, you had mentioned earlier, like the whole, kind of bonding aspect of food and the community aspect. I think that, I don't know, I feel like in society, the more and more we just are alone and we forget about how bonding food can be. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, like, I mean, even like, for example, like I, I like taking my daughter to a coffee shop and we'll sometimes grab something from the bakery case, you know, you know, croissant or cookie. And it's just, you know, she, I'm spending time with her. It's a way for us to connect. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. So like food, maybe it might not be the most like nutritious thing, you know, nutrient dense, like, you know, types of foods, but it is providing value in other ways. That's interesting. And, um, it reminds me like we would go, uh, like when I would travel, um, I think multiple countries, but in particular, I'm thinking of France right now of like how long the meals were at dinner time. And yeah, it was a process and it was more about the experience and the atmosphere and the company. Um, and I mean, obviously, you know, like the food is good in France and all that too, but there's so much more to it. And how would you uh, recommend for us to educate our kids about food and their thinking on food as moms? Yeah. So with kids, the best way to educate our kids on food is to model the non-diet approach ourselves, you know, and let them hear how you approach diet talk. Um, let them see you, you know, role modeling. That's, I think that's a really big practice to, to do when it comes with kids. Also not labeling foods as good or bad or, you know, junk food and um, not telling them, you know, no, absolutely not. You can't have sweets, for example, but like reframing those kind of statements to, okay, well, we can't have that right now, but you know, we'll, there will be a time where we will be able to have it. Um, this, you know, not restricting foods and letting them know that it will always be available is key because as anyone knows, when you restrict something like food, we then think about it more and we'll want it more. And then willpower can only last so long before the next thing you know, you're overeating to the point you just don't feel good. And we don't want that. We want to feel good in our bodies. So teaching them to, you know, stop when they're full and not do the whole, like finish your plate thing with them. Um, that's a vital skill that, um, that can 
teach them not to eat past fullness just because they were told they have to like finish their plate as well. I, you know, Deanna, I feel like we can talk so much about all of this stuff. I mean, is there, what, what would you like our listeners to take away? Like, what are some, like, is there any other um, things that you can share with us about intuitive eating or? Sure. Um, yeah. If you're, um, if you're, if you're new to this topic, get the book. It's a good kind of like gateway, you know, to this, you know, world of intuitive eating. Um, you know, and if you want, you know, and if you want to go deeper and implement these kind of things, I would get together with like an intuitive eating coach, um, you know, intuitive eating expert to kind of help you with, you know, um, some of these, um, you know, mindset shifts um, when it comes to intuitive eating and whatnot. And intuitive eating is not a diet. So we have to be careful not to um, interpret it as another diet. Like there are 10 principles to intuitive eating, but they're not like step-by-step, step, like step one, you know, this is your, your first step to intuitive eating. It's very, it's non-linear. Um, it's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. If you think about it, if you've been dieting all your life for years and years and years, like I do not go into expecting that you're just going to flip a switch the next day and you're going to be like this, like awesome, perfect, intuitive, you know, eater. And, you know, and there's no such thing as like, you know, perfection, you know, there's no black and white, you know, um, intuitive eating is all about living in the gray and giving yourself, um, compassion and practicing compassion over judgment. Um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, practicing intuitive eating. I love that. It's like the mental back road sometimes that I talk about of like practicing that instead of the highway of frustration of, or not, not necessarily frustration, but that like guilt, that, um, guilt of what, what I ate. And, um, like for the holidays, for example, like maybe there's like the other day for Thanksgiving, I had this tiramisu that was just so good that my aunt made. And I had probably more than I needed. That's awesome. Now, how would you, I like to ask my listeners, how would you, um, love as a verb in more in your life? Is there anything in particular that you would do with love as an action? I guess we could also say like food eating as an action we're talking about, but, um, is there anything in particular that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah. I mean, you can love by giving compassion to practice compassion over judgment, whether it is to yourself or towards others. And I just feel just that whole compassion piece is a great way to love as a verb. Mm, yes, the self-compassion and compassion to others. I love that. Yes, compassion over judgment, I always say. Yes, compassion over judgment. Absolutely. Because uh, one other thing, when you say the word judgment, it, it makes me, it reminds me of I went on a retreat a couple years ago and they said, you know, for me and for other moms, we're so just into judging ourselves. And how can we transform judging into being more vulnerable and more peaceful? And I, I honestly, like, I just, I, I really wanted to memorize that vulnerability and peace and bring that throughout my day. And I realized that was my, my initials. So I'm like, Oh, good. Valerie is vulnerable. I'm in peace. <laughs> Probes well in peace. So I'll do it that way. But it's so much easier said than done. Like it's so hard sometimes. And I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad that there's resources out there that like, whatever we struggle with, 
that there is help. There's resources for us as her moms. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Deanna. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been great. It's a great conversation. And I hope your listeners would benefit from this. 